Welcome to Inside the Rope, a podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and this episode I'm speaking with Andrew Rado, the portfolio manager for Longreach's Maris strategy that they're just coming to market with. It's an unusual strategy and one that's very uncorrelated to markets, being a fund that owns and invests in ITQs, individual transferable quotas in the fishing industry. Similar to water rights, it's an asset class that is emerging, that provides an ongoing yield as well as capital growth. We talked to Andrew about how they're going about creating this fund and what they're looking to do and what sort of profile and opportunity it will provide to investors. Remember, this podcast isn't designed, nor is it specific advice, and individuals are encouraged to not only listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast, but also to seek financial advice before making any investment decisions. Please remember that we are aiming to have our 100th podcast episode on the 25th of August in Sydney. If you'd like to be part of that, please email me at hello at insidetherope.com.au. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I certainly did. Thanks for listening. Andrew, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks, David. It's great to be here and thanks to thanks to Coda. Andrew, uh, perhaps you could kick away and give us a little bit of a background to yourself uh, and what you do, please. Sure. So my, my background, uh, David, has is, is been a career in, in food and agribusiness uh, and and identifying new opportunities uh, in that sector. So a bit of my background, born and raised in regional Western Australia, um, studied a lot, uh, did my undergraduate at ANU in Canberra. So when I was a, a young fellow, I moved to the other side of the country and uh, spent three years in uh, at ANU. And that was a, a great formative sort of period, um, particularly coming from, uh, from, from country WA. And then, uh, Studied uh, beyond that, you know, did a PhD at uh, at Murdoch University, and followed it up with uh, with an MBA from from UWA. So that that sort of skill set, uh, plus coming, you know, my background coming from regional WA, uh, got me on the path of uh, you know developing strong interests in food, agribusiness, new opportunities. You know, that's the exciting part of. Uh, of um, you know my, my career, I, I just see there's always going to be the continued need for uh, for sustainable food. I mean, what's happened with COVID, you know, there's going to be a fast tracking on you know traceability, sustainable food production. Uh, there's going to be more people in the world looking for cleaner, greener food, and that's uh, that's the path and, and and that I'm on, and that's the interest that that's sort of been driving me. Andrew, we're here to talk about the Maris uh, seafood opportunity. Could you please articulate what that is um, to our to to the listeners and and why that opportunity exists? Sure. So the, the Long Reach Maris Sustainable Seafood Fund, it's a premium food investment opportunity, and the central focus of the opportunity is uh, is sustainable premium seafood, where there is insatiable global demand and very strong domestic demand for premium seafood. And uh, the underlying asset class is ITQs. And historically, they've generated you know, a very high recurring income because uh, 
of the, of the, the nature of an ITQ and I'll explain what that is. And they've also experienced um, strong capital growth. And that's because of the, of the growing uh, demand for premium seafood in Australia and globally. But the issue with, uh, with this premium seafood is that it's, the supply is fixed. It, it's capped. It's an absolute uh, finite resource. You cannot add to the supply base. So it's a, it's a food story that, that enjoys GDP growth uh, globally uh, and in Australia. But traditionally, supply is also is matched. Uh, sorry, GDP is also matched with, with that supply side. But it's, it's, it's the only food story where supply cannot be, cannot be added to. And, um, and that's the key driver as demand goes up, supply is fixed, and that's been you know, key drivers of historic returns over time. So the, um, the opportunity came about, uh, David, is uh, prior to forming uh, Long Reach Maris, I'd, I was involved, uh, been involved in many sort of special situations and, and financial turnaround opportunities. Um, I, I, I like those uh, challenges. And I was called into, uh, even though I'm from WA, um, got involved in a successful financial turnaround special situation in uh, Tasmania's largest lobster export business. And that business was exporting about 40% of uh, Tasmania's lobsters into, uh, into Shanghai. So about 400 tonne uh, a year, turning over $50 million of export revenue. and. Um, and that business, a long-term business, had lost its way. We were called into uh, to, 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 to fix it up, and uh, that's where the opportunity uh, or the idea was born for Long Reach Maris. And the problem that was identified is for a business to uh, process, export, handle 400 ton of lobsters, it needed 400 million dollars of uh, ITQs and and no business no no balance sheet can afford to have 400 million dollars of ITQs sitting on its balance sheet Andrew so can we just back up and, and explain what an ITQ oh. is perhaps yeah so uh, an ITQ is, uh, is is short for individual transferable quota and Australia's wild caught fisheries are predominantly now managed as ITQ managed fisheries, and I'll explain what, what this is. But, but fundamentally, ITQs are there to in, is to ensure that our fisheries are managed on a sustainable basis, and, and, and they are. So prior to ITQ managed fisheries, it was pretty much uh, the anything go show in, in fisheries, and that's the case in, in many global fisheries now. And uh, they were first introduced in the 1980s, so they've been around for 30, 40 years. So that's it's not a new, it's not a new construct. It's been around for a, for a long period of time, and they were introduced because <clears throat> Australian fisheries uh, and many other fisheries were characterised by these boom and bust cycles, overfishing. Uh, then there was a period of uh, of no fishing because the fish stocks had to recover, and uh, and and fish stocks were depleted because of, uh, of overfishing. ITQ fisheries were introduced to ensure that tomorrow's fish weren't caught today and uh, there was a sustainable equilibrium point on, on, on those fisheries. And it's universally worked, fundamentally worked. It's achieved that key goal. Um, so an ITQ 
being an individual transferable quota. Um, transferable means it can be bought, sold, leased, and individual means um, a fishery can be unitized into uh, into single single units, and those units are, are homogeneous within within the fishery. The uh, but what what the unintended an unforeseen circumstance of introducing ITQs in the 1980s and 90s, and they're still being introduced today. There's, there's two major fisheries being transferred to ITQ managed fisheries, uh, one in Queensland and one in South Australia in 2021. What, uh, what the unintended or unforeseen circumstances is that the ITQs are now become prohibitively expensive. They're, they're um, They've done the job of making sure our fisheries are sustainable and Australia's fisheries are more sustainable now than what they were prior to ITQs. Over that period of time, uh, we have um, more sustainable fisheries now than, than when before they were introduced. But what's happened is <clears throat> the value of these ITQs is now unaffordable, out of reach for the next generation of fishers. And this is a, this is a real issue uh, for the industry and the industry to move forward. And, and this is the experience that I saw in Tasmania is how does a company uh, involved in seafood processing, uh, exporting, you know, generating export revenue, how does a, a seafood business or a family seafood business or, or a, a family fishing business afford to, un, to, to, to lock in supply through an ITQ for their, to support their, their, their underlying um, seafood business? And that's where the, the idea of long-reach Maris was born. And the solution, so the problem was ITQs are expensive for the industry to move, move forward and, and, and finance. And the solution is, attract, is, is trying to attract the right type of capital to support the industry to move forward. And there's a whole heap of reasons on how that can be achieved. And there's a whole heap of reasons why this needs to happen. Uh, because um, you know what, what you'll see is um, continued foreign ownership of uh, of Australia's fishing rights, ITQs moving forward, and it's you know it's been happening, it's happening now, and I just see there's going to be a continued trend, uh, you know, around that uh, around that issue that that needs to be addressed, and the right type of capital means <clears throat> um, ensuring that these regional communities, and there are many of them, you know, from Geraldton to Port Lincoln to Eden, Cairns, Lakes Entrance, Bichonneau, um, all around Australia, there's really important regional industries that rely on ITQs uh, as the lifeblood to their, to their, to their you know, important industries for these, uh, for these communities. And having long-term security of access for these industries to ITQs is fundamental. It's going to continue to support these uh, these regional communities. So there's a there's a, there's a really important social piece around uh, around ensuring access to fishing communities to to access fisheries uh, and uh, and and continue their, their their business. So the origins of uh, of Long Reach Maris were born out of doing a deep dive in the Tasmanian lobster industry and turning uh, significant business around. 
And Andrew, can you talk a little bit about the economics of the industry and how it works at a basic high level? I think, sure. you know, if we use the generic term of a fisherman, even though that may not be PC, I'm not sure if it's fisher person, it just gets a bit close to fishers and fishers. Sure. Um, but let's say we've got a fisherman who, uh, you know, they own a boat, they operate it, they they go out, they they own an ITQ, which gives them the right to a certain amount of catch, which is policed and heavily regulated, um, <clears throat> i.e. when they come back in, it's weighed, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they own a boat, they go out, they catch their haul, they bring it back in. What, what is the cost structure and the economics of that industry? Yeah, sure. So let me go back and I'll talk about the sort of the high level macroeconomics and I'll drill down uh, into, into, into how how the, the industry sort of works at a granular level. So the, the Australian seafood industry, it's a very important industry. It's um, it, it, it's, it's very large, uh, it's regionally based, so it's a very job-rich, uh, regionally based industry. Now, the total, Australia's total seafood industry generates a gross value of product, so that's effectively the farm gate price times the, uh, the volume it produces of uh, well over $3 billion a year. And uh, the two major categories is the wild court sector and the other category is, is aquaculture. And uh, Aquaculture is where they've got the big people might have seen in the ocean, you've got the big uh, cylinders or rings and yeah, they farm yeah. predominantly yeah, pre predominantly salmon, right? Yeah, yeah. so sa salmon is by far the uh, the largest contributor to to the aquaculture sector. And uh, that, that's... Uh, uh, that salmon uh, prominently grown in, in, in Tasmania. So the wild caught sector uh, generates the majority of Australia's total seafood G, uh, gross value product. But importantly, Australia still imports about 70% of its seafood. So it's a, it's a net importer of seafood. So not only do we have very valuable and lucrative fisheries in Australia, they're sustainable and they're job rich, we still import more seafood than we produce. And that's coming from countries like New Zealand, um, a lot of sort of aquaculture products coming out of, uh, coming out of Asia. So we, uh, we have a very valuable industry that needs, uh, that needs supporting capital, uh, but we, uh, and we're a net, net importers of, of seafood and, that, and, that, uh, and that's been a an increasing trend. So every, Every fishery, and there's about 400 individual sort of separate identified fisheries or fish stocks, and they're managed by the Commonwealth or state agencies. So it's not just, it's not one government agency that manages all the fisheries. A lot of our fisheries are managed at a state level, and then, uh, then the Commonwealth gets involved in, uh, in, in, in the fisheries that extend way out into the economic exclusion zone or economic... Um, yeah, economic exclusion zone of Australian Australian waters. So there are fisheries where uh, there's very little inputs. So it could be an abalone diver dives down and and uh, um, harvests abalone. Um, and you know the, the economics of, of that type of fishing technique will be different to how uh, mud crabs are, uh, are harvested or lobsters harvested or or um, table fish you know that goes into high-end restaurants is harvest so so there's no one there's no one uh, single economic model for um 
for all of all of Australia's fish. They're all different. They all have different sort of cost structures. Uh, but fundamentally, um, what you have is at, at a wholesale seafood price, so that's effectively what you'd pay a fishmonger uh, to w w when you buy a fish. Let's say the Sydney Sydney uh, fish markets, for example. Um, if you're in, if you're involved in in the restaurant trade or um, you know fish shop or fish and chip shop or any other sort of seafood retail business. Um, you need to acquire seafood and uh, you're buying that at a wholesale price point. There are three major sort of cost components of, that make up that wholesale seafood price. One is the seafood processing cost, one is the fishing cost, and the other one is the is effectively the rent paid or the lease paid to access the fishery. And that is the that is the uh, lease paid on an ITQ. So it's so the leasing component is uh, or, or accessing the fishery is, is is the underlying driver of ITQ values in terms of lease income and then then the uh, underlying value of the ITQ itself. So when when you're looking at seafood <coughs> seafood prices as a consumer, it's made up of three components: the processing cost, the harvest, the fishing cost, and then the access to the fishery itself. So. The, the the issue with uh, <clears throat> with Australian fisheries is it, it's, the oceans are owned by all Australians and the fish in those oceans are owned by all Australians. It's a, it's a, it's a public resource, effectively, and um, and you know, it's my view that uh, all Australians should have access to to, to this industry, and um, and I think it's an important important going to add an important social piece to. Uh, to the industry moving forward um, to ensure that ITQs remain domestically owned and um, and regional communities have access to ITQs to continue to, uh, to support their regional communities. And tell me, uh, so, so the ethical issue seems to be ticked here in that it's supporting a sustainable industry and uh, you know, environmentally managing soundly the fishing stocks. What, what is to stop, for instance, authorities if they decide that um, everything's, you know, been replenished and the seas are fantastic and there have been a, an abundance of a certain species that they didn't expect has reoccurred or come back to greater lengths of issuing more quotas because the ecological system has improved to such an extent that it warrants um, more, more fishing, if you'd like? Yeah. So... <clears throat> Fisheries are managed with, with two instruments, two tools. One is the ITQ themselves, and the other one is a, is a catch limit. It's called the total allowable commercial catch. And um, so in addition to the total allowable commercial catch, there's a catch by the recreational fishers, which is set. It's not commercial. That's a recreational catch. So anyone can go down with a fishing licence and off the beach and catch a fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, then there's uh, also, you know, in the indigenous component, you know, uh, there are uh, n n natural native uh, indigenous access to fisheries, uh, particularly, you know, in the Torres Strait uh, in waters. And so that also sits out the uh, outside the, the total allowable commercial catch. So when you add it all up, uh, the fisheries need to be maintained on a sustainable basis. That's recreational fishers, commercial fishers and indigenous fishers. Um, so there's a whole, there's no guesswork in this. There's a whole bunch of science on 
on determining sustainability levels and that there's a whole, um, you know, full-time federal and state agencies assessing sustainability of our fish. Because Australia has a very important obligation to meet its United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And goal number 14 is life under the water. And when you think about over half the world's population relies on seafood as its primary source of protein. So that's why the oceans and the UN Sustainable Development Goals have a very clear focus on, on sustainability. So we, we can lock up the oceans, but where does the seafood, so where does the world, world get its seafood from? And um, so what United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 14 is about is sustainably using the oceans, mm. not over-exploiting and not locking them up because the world needs to consume seafood. Uh, it's sustainably using it. So Australia is on a path to ensure all of its fisheries are meeting its UN Sustainable Development Goal obligations. Does that prohibit them from issuing more ITQs yeah. on a certain species? So what you'll find, um, once an ITQ fishery has been introduced, the number of units on issue hasn't changed. And these, these units have been around, so ITQ fishery has been around since the 1980s. So they've been around for 30, 40 years. And you look back at, at the number of units being issued and, it, and it's fixed. What does change is the allowable catch or once, and, and that's the main lever that actually determines sustainability, not, not the number of ITQs on issue. It's the, it's the catch, it's the, the number of kilos or the number of tonnes that can be taken out of that fishery on a sustainable basis. And the number of units of ITQs divided into the total allowable commercial catch effectively divides up, divides up the catch per per season or per, per year. And what you'll see, if you look at the historics, uh, is that that tack can go up and down. So it's not always going down, it's not always going up, it gets adjusted depending on science. There's a whole, but there's a whole heap of science around it. You know, recruitment, uh, fishermen's catch efforts, there's a whole heap of um, data around what are the drivers for determining the, the tack. But once you get to sustainability and what you'll see is that tack remains constant predominantly it could be a few percentage points change up and down uh, but it's it's achieved its goal we have a sustainable fishery the tack is constant the number of units never changes from the date they're introduced and then the fishery is sustainable it's creating jobs it's supplying markets um, you know it's, it's providing premium seafood domestically and into export markets so it's so it's, it's IDQ, IDQ managed fisheries have fundamentally worked and Australia's fisheries are more sustainable now and they're more valuable now than, than what they were in the past as a result of the introduction of IDQ. And Andrew, if I think about what Longreach Maris is seeking to do in the creation of this fund is, let's if we'd call it to start with a, a $50 million fund, which will acquire these ITQs and create a diversified portfolio of them by species and geography around Australia to provide investors with an income of, you know, five to 7% and a capital growth of five to 7%. So you're looking at a total return of somewhere between 10 and 14% that is coming from predominantly uh, the leasing income that comes off those uh, ITQs and then also the capital, the long-term trend of capital uh, 
accretion uh, in that process. Is that, in summary, what the fund is seeking to do? Yeah, that, that, that's right. There, there's a sustainable income piece. So the uh, the 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 income side is is leasing uh, the ITQs to fishers and fishing businesses, and it could be a sale and lease back, or it could be a uh, ITQs um, that are being sold and someone's exiting the industry and they're, they're looking for a, a, a purchaser. Uh, the fund will then get around uh, fishers, uh, provide them with long-term lease arrangements, particularly focusing on the next generation of fishers. The, the, the young guys who've, and girls have done, uh, you know, their, their long-term apprenticeship uh, as deckhands and they want to become, you know, um, you know, have their own fishing business, but they, they can't afford the, the ITQs. They, they want to become fishers. They've grown up in these regional towns. Uh, they've done their apprenticeship. Now they want to uh, create their own destiny and, and, and form their own business, but they haven't got the $20 million, the $40 million to buy ITQs. They just haven't got that money. And that's where the fund would support uh, support those, um, the next generation of fishers. Uh, um, so, so that's a big part of the social piece with the fund. So the 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 ITQs provide a sustainable recurring income stream because they're they're leased every year, and then because of the supply demand imbalance that is growing global supply, uh, actually you know diminishing seafoods resources around the world, uh, but supply is fixed. Uh, just just. You know, basic laws of supply and demand means you know the underlying values um, have have grown over time, and, and you know, there's been demonstrable evidence of uh, of IQ values you know increasing just because of that supply supply demand imbalance. So ITQs, the industry. I mean, we're talking about real people, real products, real cash flows, real markets, real industries. You know, it's 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 you know it's as real as it gets because we're talking about you know strong real. Uh, industries you know, in re regional communities, you know, and, and um, you know, very, very large, uh, you know, industries have been created around ITQs. For example, the, the southern bluefin tuna industry in Port Lincoln um, is is a classic example. You know, that was an industry that was um, facing overfishing. ITQs were introduced in the 80s, and now we have you know a very large and significant uh, tuna industry in Australia as a result of, of ITQs. And Andrew, you, you man, mentioned aquaculture before, um, and it, to my knowledge, there's sort of a handful of species that can be, or, or can be bred via aquaculture. What what are those species, and why is it that not every species can be bred uh, in aquaculture? Yeah, so <clears throat> aquaculture, it, it's it's it has uh, has Technical technical challenges. You know, it's not as though you can, uh, you know, start breeding fish and, and and feeding them, and they, you know, make market size within a short period of time, and and it's profitable. You know, um, a lot of fish species have very complex life cycles, and and lo lobsters is a classic. Lo a lobster has has you know over ten to fifteen individual life cycles that you know it changes and and and, and they they need to be known and. Um, so the, the, the point is, is um, aquaculture has a very important role to feed the world. Feed the world. It's, it's, it's fundamental to ensure that 
seafood protein meets uh, get, gets to um, you know low, middle, and high end markets. You know, it's fundamental. And, and salmon's a great example. You know, we thirty years years ago we didn't have a salmon aquaculture salmon industry. Now we do, and it's, you know, it's a very very important industry in Tasmania. But it, it's one species. It's it's one type of fish. It does it. It's not going to replace. It's not going to replace that full diversity of of fish species that we consume. And some issues is with with aquacultures. Some of these fish are you know live two hundred meters down, you know, further the way up the ocean. So you know what does lend itself to aquacultures? Generally, things that live inshore. You know, that's things that sort of live in, in shallow water, like you know abalone, for example. You can grow cocktail abalone. You know, prawn farming is another one. Barramundi farming, but they're generally called sort of inland type fish species. It's going to be very difficult to to replicate the right environment for you know deeper water fish species or fish species that have you know longer longer lifespans you know so so aquaculture is important play but I don't see aquaculture replacing that full diversity of uh, wild caught species mm-hmm. um, and and the other challenges with aquaculture is going to be rising input costs you know you've got to feed feed the, the fish in those farms and that has to come that's fish meal that comes from wild caught sources predominantly in the first place then there's environmental issues with aquaculture uh, there's there's agricultural risk with aquaculture so aquaculture is an important play it has its challenges but i don't see it replacing premium wild caught seafood and the full diversity that, that the industry um, generates Andrew, you mentioned uh, lobsters there. I think when most people listening to this will have at the forefront of their minds, uh, you know, the recent tensions between Australia and China and the slowing of demand for Australian lobsters. Um, how would that affect this type of strategy? Yeah, so what, what's occurred um, in with lobster exports to, to China in, in in the last sort of eighteen months is is and and it's not it's not just isolated to Australia. Um, if you look at international international articles, China is dealing with COVID like every other country, and um, rightly or wrongly, it believes that COVID is being reimported into China on packaging, particularly you know, cold chain packaging. So. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of food exporters around the world, not just in Australia, around the world, uh, grappling with China's testing of COVID on food packaging, particularly cold chain packaging. So, uh, Ecuadorian shrimp exporters, Russian pollock exporters, Indian uh, exporters, even Vietnamese exporters, Indonesian exporters, all trying to historically have supplied China with seafood. Are all facing bottlenecks because of the slowdown of uh, of testing for COVID on packaging in China. Now, when you're exporting a live animal like lobsters, live lobsters to China, you don't want to have any delays at, at the point of entry, and that's the, the issue. Is there's there's testing delays, there's you know there's there's log jams, there's bottlenecks, and um, so while <clears throat> while COVID is an issue, and it's a, I mean look at look at Australia, we're we're in you know major cities in lockdown now, you know, no one wants COVID running around in their country and China's 
uh, taken the approach that we don't want to, uh, we, we want to be testing uh, packaging on, on the way in. So what we've seen with COVID and, and the impact on lobsters, we, the industry's witnessed with SARS in, in 2002, you know, it had a market dislocation. There was a, there was, you know, effectively a black swan event like SARS or COVID and that interrupted the industry. But when SARS went away and COVID will go away eventually, we, I mean, we don't know when, um, those markets will rebound like they have done in the past. The, 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 there's effectively a kink in the supply hose. And, um, you know, so I don't, I don't see it being uh, any more than, you know, a COVID-related matter that will go away. But what's happened, though, is, is China was by far the most lucrative market for live lobsters, by far. They were prepared to pay, you know, up to $200 a kilogram for Australia's premium lobsters. And, and they had an insatiable appetite. Um, but what's happened is um, the industry is now finding the markets that it used to supply, but at a different price point. So the industry hasn't stopped. Uh, the industry continues, but it's not supplying China because of the, the, the bottleneck in the supply chain. So it's gone back to supplying uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Vietnam. You know, you're seeing more lobsters in the Australian market than, than you have previously because they all went to China because they were prepared to pay a much higher price. So what's happened is uh, the industry has settled around a new equilibrium around you know, the, the market price, which then has a new equilibrium on the lease rate, which has a new equilibrium on the ITQ value. So you'll see, uh, like in many industries, there's going to be market dislocations from time to time, black swan events well, you know, uh, in, in almost any industry. Um, and the way we, we mitigate or minimise those risks is by having a diversified portfolio. Yep. And uh, so we're not just being in lob. This is not a lobster fund, but you know, there's a market dislocation. There's a new equilibrium. Um, but by the same token, the demand for gummy shark into fish and chips into Victoria has gone through the roof because everyone's in lockdown. So there's swings and roundabouts, and that's why you need to take a diversified approach rather than being just in one ITQ stock because of these issues. And, and you know, there'll be further dislocations in other markets, you know, we, which we can't predict today. But the way to mitigate that is to have a diversified portfolio. It's not just diversified by markets. It'd be diversified by jurisdiction, diversified by geography, diversified by fish species. So you have a full diversified portfolio in a very important, lucrative, uh, sustainable uh, food food sector. Andrew, uh, this seems to draw a lot of correlations to me to uh, water rights um, and the separation of land ownership and water ownership in agriculture in Australia and how that has developed. Um, one thing that comes to my mind, a question is, how are these uh, ITQs exchanged? How are they bought and sold? Uh, is there, you know, there's an exchange for water? Uh, is there an exchange or, or what's the mechanism for buying and selling these ITQs? So there's, a, you know, this is a really important point, David, and, and largely we have a an emerging asset class where no one has no, no one has a great deal of knowledge on, and no one has really access to it because there is no exchange, there is no hub, uh, there is no sort of central data point where you can where you can. Uh, um, look up an ITQ or, or seafood price or lease rate, you know. So the industry is relatively opaque. It's uh, it's been 
sort of almost ex to the exclusive domain of industry participants. So, uh, and it's been excluded to 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 outsiders. Um, and and that's um, so the industry has grown to you know a market capitalization of around twenty billion dollars based on um, you know over the counter type you know sale and purchase agreements. You know it's historic would have been you know Fred the fish fisher person wants to sell or lease units, he's going to sell it to John, the fisher person over there. And then that, that's been the industry. Um, there's been um, uh, you know, some in investors coming in and, and, and owning ITQs in individual sort of fisheries. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also starting to see now foreign ownership of ITQs, which I think you know, is going to create issues um, if that continues into the future because it's the fish in Australian waters are owned by all Australians, a public resource. Um, so uh, going back to your question, ITQs are leased, bought and sold by participants in the industry and, and excluded to, to, to others. Off market. Terrific. All right. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Unless there's another thought, uh, if you want to leave our listeners with any points to sum up, um, I think we've covered most of the points there. Yeah, the, I think the key message is uh, that, that long-range long Mars is, is has a key sustainability uh, focus. As I mentioned, you know, food traceability, sustainable food production is going to be a really important issue into the, well into the future. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be for, forefront of people's minds because of this massive global health scare that we've all lived through. So the the central thesis of the long-range Mars strategy is sustainability and there are three levels of sustainability one is the fish stocks are sustainable and and itqs have fundamentally worked so we have uh, more sustainable fisheries now than we have in the past the, the fund seeks to generate a sustainable recurring income stream so while the fish are there and people consuming fish itqs be least so there's a there's income sustainability but also what's just as important is we want to be supporting regional communities and making sure that the lifeblood of these businesses remains in these communities. And that is the ITQ that, that allows a fisher to go out or the seafood business to go out and put seafood volume through their business. And the lifeblood of, of that is access to ITQs and um, consolidation of ITQs into, into, you know, into a, just a handful of hands or going to foreign ownership you know works against that and we want to make sure that that these communities are sustainable financially sustainable well into the future and giving them long-term access to itqs is fundamental to that strategy andrew thank you very much it's a great point to leave the podcast thank you for your time appreciate my it. pleasure david my pleasure and thanks for thanks for having us on today thank you for listening to inside the rope with david clark be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com.
Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.